Welcome to Level Up with Sherelle and Danny. We're here to help you take your health, fitness, and mindset to the next level. It's time to level up. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Level Up with Sherelle and Danny. Today we are talking about advanced training methods for hypertrophy. For those who don't know as well, hypertrophy is just basically building muscle. I feel like sometimes it's easy to presume when we say just hypertrophy, we're really just talking about muscle building. Yes, yes. And normally we sort of talk about our training and building muscle and everything, but we don't really get to talk about the nitty gritties um, Mm. and, and the advanced method because it's a very small niche. Not many people actually have to use them, despite what social media says. It's kind of very misleading where Mm. a lot of newbies think that they need to go straight into the complicated work. But Mm. today we'll talk about, okay, when is the right time to use advanced training methods? For how long? For what purpose? We'll sort of unpack all the questions around that type of training. Yeah, absolutely. Like we know that in like, you know, maybe the first few years, even up to the first five years, you know, proper training, you really just need to focus on progressive overload, refining your movement patterns, getting strong in the gym, all of those things. Uh, And it's probably really only been the last 18 months that I've actually started to really implement some of these protocols uh, into my own training because I just haven't needed to, Mm. right? And I think um, now like there's definitely a lot of benefits to being able to have some of these tools in your toolbox and strategies up your sleeve, not only to be able to obviously grow muscle, but even variety and just enjoyment in your training as well. I really yeah. love like learning the the why um, behind these protocols and why some of these work. And, you know, we're going to touch on that uh, at the start, but like the, the true mechanisms that just lead to muscle growth. There's no point doing these sorts of things if we don't understand the why behind it, in my opinion, you know, and we're going to, we're going to briefly touch on that at the start before we get into the practical application of some of these methods and protocols that we both use in our training. Absolutely. So you did mention hypertrophy is the increase in muscular size. So growing those muscles and it does happen there's a bit of a checklist. So you have to have good technique in the gym. Yeah. Or else it sort of won't happen. Um, actually focus on squeezing the muscles and contracting them, be present mm. in your training. And you and I are very big on mindset and not rushing through the movements. Um, sometimes you can lift to a failure, um, lifting a high volume of weight and then always applying progressive overload, which we love drilling into people. So making it harder the next time round. Yeah, absolutely. Those are like the key non-negotiables, right? Like pushing hard, training with good technique, making sure you're doing enough volume with enough Mm -hmm. intensity and, you know, progressive overload. We've covered that. Like we've, we've really spoken about that probably too much over the last couple of years. But when we look at what actually causes muscle growth, like what actually causes muscle growth, it's not volume. It's not intensity. They're not the causes or the mechanisms of muscle growth. Probably the main one that's the most highly researched that will, you know, probably bat on about today is mechanical tension. Mm. I also feel like so many people say mechanical tension. And I'm like, what is it? And they're like, tension. I'm like, you can't use the word in the definition. You can't use the word in the definition in the definition. So mechanical 100%. tension, you know, it's it's the most important variable when we look at muscle growth. Um, basically, it is going to be like stretch or um, load placed on a muscle or any tissue um, under a stretched position as well. And then it's also going to be the opposite force or resistance that our muscle has to put against that tension too. So when when we actually think about what leads to muscle growth, we really are talking about the load or the resistance that's placed under a stretched muscle. 
Yeah, but stretch and contracted. So and you contracted. were you hit the yeah, you hit the nail on the head, but you just went back to stretch twice. So for example, people imagining a bicep curl um, on the way down, Sherelle mentioned that sort of that's more of the stretching, so the eccentric. And then when you bring your arm up towards your body and flexing, that's the concentric. But you can also have it as an isometric hold. So any tension on the muscle is very important. So we need that time under tension, mm. who would have heard about. And that's just about how long is your muscle under some sort of tension, whether it's being stretched, contracted or paused. And that yeah. is the number one thing to build muscle. So you get people rushing into the gym, they quickly bust out a few squats or, you know, do some lat pull downs, whatever, and they're rushing. No, that's mm. why it's so important to be disciplined, to really take your time when you're training and moving and increase that time under tension because that's what leads to muscle growth. Absolutely. And you raise a really good point there and something I really want to reiterate, tension is not necessarily weight, right? Resistance is not weight, right? And this is so important because I think people get really fixated on, oh, well, I'm not as strong this week. I'm not making progressive overload. Now, if you're a powerlifter, like maybe that's relevant, maybe that's true, but there's, there's a magnitude of ways that you can increase tension on a muscle, right? And one of them that you've just mentioned there, Danny, like tempo, the, the amount of time that you spend going through the eccentric phase or the concentric phase or, you know, having that muscle under the resistance, that's one way in which we can increase tension. Another way is you can manipulate like the exercise selection that you're using. There's going to be exercises that have more um, emphasis on the time under tension. The other thing that we can do, like even when we look at exercises like, a um, you know, a Romanian deadlift or a good morning, right? They, they, you, you're going to be using different weights and there's going to be different resistances as well. And they just act differently on the body. Mm. And I just think it's really important because mechanical tension isn't just load. Like mechanical tension, um, you can use weight as a way to increase it. You can use the weight, but it's only one mechanism. And I think tempo is just so overlooked when it comes to actually mechanical tension. Yeah, I love that you really highlighted that. And as you said, it's not just about the, the amount of weight that you're lifting. It's like, okay, because your body doesn't actually know the difference between a machine, a dumbbell, a barbell, a band, like a Swiss ball, body weight. It's just all relative to where you're at and then mm. the skills that you are wanting to improve on. Your body yeah. doesn't actually say, okay, today Sherelle's got a barbell. Well, that's going to get better results than a dumbbell. Yeah. No, it just feels <laughs> load. It feels resistance. And yeah. yeah, really good point to reiterate. Um, It's not all about copying what someone else is doing. It's about, okay, mm. which equipment do I have? What can, what are my goals? Um, and how can I apply that time under tension for people training at home? They might not, not have had access to really heavy weights. Cool. Do more reps, do them slower. You mm. get a very good result that way too. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it's so empowering when you understand principles because it means that you don't have to get lost in methods or the best exercises or certain yeah. protocols. Because when we understand, again, what are the mechanisms that lead to hypertrophy? What are foundational movement patterns that we should just include? We can, you know, rid ourselves of like the five best exercises to grow your glutes. Like everyone should be programming and thinking from a way of not goals, but adaptations um, and not exercises, but movements. Um, yeah. And when you can think like that, like, 
you don't need to really like follow someone else's methods and you see through all the BS. So that's what we're here for anyways. And I think that mechanical mm-hmm. tension piece, like really just pin that and think about like tension, load, um, tempo, technique, all of those things are going to help with that. The second uh, point and that we're going to talk about as well when it comes to muscle growth is metabolic stress. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's also another sort of like indirect way to be able to lead to muscle growth. Uh, and the, the theory behind these ones are basically you know accumulating that pump work or the burn work and I personally like I'm not a I know there's a lot of research around the importance of metabolic stress and muscle damage but I I see them secondary um, to mechanical tension like I see mechanical tension at the top right and then you've got these other factors that may lead to muscle growth and that muscle damage one like correct me if I'm wrong but I feel as though that one's being disproven at the moment that inflammation process is still important for muscle repair but muscle damage we know does not lead to muscle growth it may be an outcome um, of muscle, uh, like the muscles being damaged, it may be an outcome of that, but there's also genetic factors too. And I think that's important to recognize because exercise selection, genetics, nutrition, there's so many things that can influence muscle damage as well. Yeah. Yeah. So basically just to reiterate the three mechanisms, mechanical tension being the most important number one, and then you have secondary factors where, Yes, there's limited research, but um, the theory behind, so as you mentioned, there's metabolic stress. So your um, cells fill with fluid that places stress on the cell membrane walls, causing them to grow back thicker. That doesn't get such um, a big response as time under tension. But again, it's a secondary factor. And then uh, you did mention number three being muscle damage. So that is creating that inflammation micro tears lesions that is more highlighted in the eccentric phase of an exercise but again you don't want to purely train that because it can also be dangerous because people can step outside sort of a safe range and take the range of motion training a little bit too far um, which is probably another topic but yes uh, when we train we do create micro tears in the muscle but I wouldn't have a complete focus on stretching and and stretching under load to a long range and things like that but Mm. you know again they are just secondary factors Um, I wouldn't discredit them you know metabolic stress and muscle damage very important still for hypertrophy but again number one being time under tension yeah absolutely well said I feel like we shouldn't be chasing um, those last two, like we shouldn't be chasing muscle damage. We shouldn't be aim. We shouldn't aim to create ourselves being really sore because a no. lot of the times, if we're getting really sore, it it may actually hinder our ability to contract a muscle properly in our following sessions too. So metabolic stress um, or that pump work again, it's like saying you can you overdo it. You can overdo it, and this mm. is why we should be looking and focusing mostly on mechanical tension because things don't need a burn to grow. You know, the old if it burns, it grows. Not necessarily. Um, you know, it's just it's just a a result so it's thinking about you know mechanical tension as the top as the as the key principle um those other two are just an after effect right and we're going to talk about some of these methods that are no doubt going to lead to metabolic stress and muscle Mm. damage as a result of probably mechanical tension and pushing close to failure for certain Mm. exercises as well so let's pin that um, and move on to our first um, advanced training. Well, can we say, sorry, who who are these good for? Can we go into that oh, first yeah. before people get a bit too excited? 
Mm. Um, so basically experience lifters and you said even for the first few years or you know for what you've been doing it for 18 months or so probably me too to be honest Mm. Um, so these techniques are for experienced lifters you've nailed your technique you know you're not scared to push a little bit harder Um, it's it's really important that we don't and as a coach don't put your beginner clients on these methods. Like there's no point because if you- They'll grow, they'll get bulky. They'll just blow up. Oh, I wish. I'm still (laughs) waiting for the day where you touch a dumbbell and you just grow muscle, right? Like this is for the people who have nailed their training, nailed their nutrition for Mm. years, and they just need another ace of spades to throw into their mix. Um, Yeah, for sure. So yeah, not good for newbies, just for the reason like, newbie gains are a thing for a reason you know they can do the bare minimum and still get results if we start throwing everything at a person they're not able to learn movement patterns and skills because it just gets complicated they'll probably get sick of training um and I, i really doubt they'll be doing these methods for the long haul so ease into it and peek into it yeah um i know that we used a lot of them when peaking for our shows um, I definitely did as well. And, and we'll go into that, but yeah, use this when you've sort of nailed that checklist that we spoke about earlier. Yeah. There will be a couple in here that definitely are appropriate for beginners. Um, like we're going to be talking about supersets and things like that as well. So we will pin when it comes to, you know, the ones that maybe we've just started, um, including in the last couple of years that we don't think are relevant. And I also think like I may have dabbled in some of these in my first like a couple of years of training, but I probably wasn't doing it justice and I probably didn't need to. So yeah. that's the difference. Like, do I need a drop set when I don't really have the intensity there to begin with? No, like <laughs> it doesn't make much sense. So it's about realizing that like, just because you can, doesn't mean you should um, with, yeah. with training approaches. And I like to use these things as, you know, icing on the cake. It doesn't, um, or it, you know, it's not going to like mechanical tension is still what we're wanting to create. So mm. I'm a big believer in for the first few years of your training, you want to be getting good at movement patterns, um, making sure that you're training pain-free, like so obvious, right? Like if you've got pain, intensity is like your worst enemy, right? Mm. Like you need to not be pushing to value point because shit's going to break. So People still know, do. They get angry. They're like, oh, yeah, well, hurts. I'm just going to push. Everything's Ooh. just going to continue to break. What was so, the saying? Like rubber, um, push cycle. Yeah, so many sayings about pushing through pain and stuff that you said. No pain, no gain. How did I forget that one? That's not a thing, guys. (laughs) Do people believe in that still? Surely. Surely Um, not. But the other thing, and I like to say this to coaches as well, there's a massive difference between a beginner and an intermediate and an advanced lifter, Mm. right? As a beginner, one of the biggest things to keep in mind is that, one, they're not going to be able to produce a maximal intensity, as a beginner, because they may not have the skill there, um, like of the movement patterns. And two, they may not have the contractile tissue. Like they may not have the muscle mass um, to actually be able to produce maximal force. As an intermediate, um, intermediate, sorry, or advanced lifter, you're going to have the skill down pat. Like it's like getting in a car now for me when I do a squat. I don't think about it. I don't mm. have to think about the technique. I just squat. Um, whereas a beginner probably won't be able to do that. They've probably got to think about all the things and, you know, manage yeah, all the wobbly. shit. Yeah, they're wobbly. Yeah, they're moving around, mm. they're bracing. Whereas I just squat and it's fine. Mm. Um, so as an intermediate, you've usually got your movement patterns sort of like pretty sound and you can focus on pushing intensity um and you're not so worried about things like breaking like technique might start to break down and you know that that's your limit so you can re-rack it mm-hmm. the other thing is as an intermediate you should have intensity there right that's the difference between a beginner and intermediate for me if someone can't push um like intensity 
uh, and push really close to failure safely with good technique um, and, and have their own RPE scale in bro- like bled into their brain that I can say RPE seven for you. And they'll go, oh yeah, they know that. That's an intermediate to me where they can qualify for some of these um, like protocols. Yeah, really well said and explained. And I think we all need to get okay with the idea of having a practice mindset, you know, deep down, none of us want to be like bad at something or new at something. But like, I feel like the longer you are in this game of training and bodybuilding, it is harder and you need to do so much more to get such a minimal result. So I wish I could sometimes rewind, you know, 10, 15 years and start again, because you just get to learn the patterns, get the awesome newbie gains, like have that practice mindset, guys. We're not Mm -hmm. just here to lift the most amount of weight possible like it's about learning new skills as you said Mm. Sherelle so just honor that phase it's not going to last forever Um, but yeah it's really good to know okay I still don't feel 100% comfortable with a movement I'm going to still practice it at a weight that is is comfortable for me I'll get that strength that skill that stability through consistent practice and then you just continue on and then it gets freaking hard so just enjoy the beginner phase guys yeah there's also nothing wrong with being a beginner do you know what I mean like don't try and be more advanced than what you are because you're actually just going to sell yourself short and take you longer to get to where you want to be as well Mm. so it's also about realizing where you are being realistic with that when it comes to different training styles and different protocols if you need to work on movement patterns like who cares like that's awesome like enjoy that process as well and just knowing where you're at i think there's a massive difference as well between training experience and training um age right? Like there's a big difference. We all know people that have been going to the gym doing the same shit, not progressing. And they're still like exactly where they are after like 10 years, right? Training age does not qualify for how experienced you are. You can be training for 20 years and still be a beginner if Mm. you can't do the things that I spoke about earlier, Mm. right? So in the same sense, if you've got a great coach, great mentor, great work ethic, um, and you're consistent, you can go from a beginner to an intermediate in, you know, 12 to 36 months. You can really like make the most, get the most bang for your buck if you know what you're doing. So mm. don't be disheartened for where you are actually at because if you're going to do the work and you've going to, you know, have that consistency and show that grit um, and have strategy behind what you do, you can make a hell of a lot of progress really quickly. Yeah. And I think it's important for coaches to realize that as well, like for their mm. clients. I remember at the start of my personal training career, many moons ago, you know, I was worried that because it's a battle of, getting the results for your clients and then entertaining them at the same time. Face-to-face is a whole different world. I mean, you and I have established what we do, but for a new trainer, just trying to get leads, you know, you might be walking around fitness first gym floor, like just trying Mm. to get clients. It's really that battle of, as I said, getting your clients the results that they actually want, but then giving them the entertainment. So if you can be confident in, in how you relay that information to them, it will allow them to appreciate the beginning phase. A lot of people just go up to new coaches and say, I want to get on the barbell straight away, or I want to do jump squats, or I saw this on Instagram, like coaches that are listening, just Mm. again, you need to be confident and patient with yourself, lead by example, and then relay that to your clients as well. You don't want to just sign on a client and take them to the advanced methods and they get injured and tired of the work, you know? So yeah, yeah, but it is a battle. So you can kind of just 
do the movements that you want them to do, really educate them and explain them the benefit and then sprinkle a little bit of, I don't know, bike sprints at the end or just some battle ropes or something entertaining at the end so they feel like they've got that sweat because you might not necessarily feel like you've worked out super, super, super hard at the start um, if you are learning movement patterns. I don't know. It's always a bit of a juggling act, but just be okay with being in that phase. Yeah. I'm really honest to clients. I'm like, you're here. (laughs) Like you've established that over the years. I'm talking to like the new, new, new trainers just got their cert four. Yeah. Like it's it's, a great point. Very different. (laughs) I was, um, when I was at, um, Eugene's workshop the other day, I was talking to, cause it was all floor PTs and I've never been in an environment like that. I was like, wow, how do you guys work? Like, how do you get clients? Like I was asking them like all the questions. Yeah. They were telling me like, yeah, I'll just go on the gym floor. I'm like, whoa, like I'm out of practice with that like I sort of skipped or bypassed that stage but I was talking to them about I was like because we were learning about you know um, progression and progressive overload and periodization and we we're learning about all those strategies and I was thinking to myself how do you and I was talking to one of the girls I was like how do you make sure that you're keeping your clients entertained yeah exactly you're still like following a program and periodizing the stuff when you see them once a week like how do you make sure that you get the best of both because of course you want to make sure that you've got retention with your clients and they're coming back and they're enjoying the session so they're not getting bored and they know it's not the same session every time but then when I think of that I'm like but following a program is really important and having consistency Mm. and not just skill right like when you start a new mesocycle you're going to go through the first few weeks of pretty much just learning how much weight to use how to move like you're just learning you get used to it you'll make you'll be able to add like 20 kilos to your weights in the first week or two um then after that, that's when progressive overload happens. So if you're constantly like changing your workout or changing your exercise selection all the time, like you're not actually making progress and you will as a beginner, right? And this is the difference, the big difference, beginner, intermediate, big difference. You'll yeah. hit a plateau really quickly. So I was talking to one of the girls. I was like, how do you like make sure that you keep your clients entertained, but then you also respect the knowledge that you know of, you know, making sure that you do that. And she was yeah. like, well, it sort of just depends on the client. Like, you know, if, if they just need someone to take them through like a sweat workout and be consistent and hold them accountable, enjoy it, whatever, then, you know, I'll just do that because consistency is more important. And I was like, yeah, that's a great point. Like knowing your client is super important. Um, but then she was saying the other thing that I do, which I think is fantastic for any um, uh, gym floor PTs is just that hybrid approach that we've spoken about in the past. Like she'll write a full pr- training program, even if she only sees them once a week, obviously. Um, and she'll take them through one of the sessions and then yep. she'll be like, here you go. Here's the rest of the program. I want you to go to the gym three days a week. And I think that is just such a big value add as like a floor PT. It takes more work. Don't get me wrong, but man, your retention's going to improve a lot. If people know that you're taking that time and you've actually got the long-term plan and the strategy behind why you're doing what you're doing. And I think that's a yeah, nice man. way to be able to have both because how often do you just see like PT being like, Oh, let's use that one. Let's yeah. That. Oh, that's free. What do you want to train today? Like yeah, you do it say it. <laughs> it doesn't work like that, but you know, no. each their own, but I just think, I yeah, that's that. a fantastic idea. And I know we've gone off track. So. No, I feel like this is important because we've never really spoken about this or t- to the new PTs or to reflect. I feel like, cause you and I just have such a lens on when we're at, where we're at now, it was kind of good for you to, um, interact with floor PTs and and it's nice for me to be able to be taken back to that because it's a whole nother world like yeah. it's all good and well in theory but then step out into the real world where your clients aren't as 
adherent as ours, Sherelle, because they come here to do the work, to be told yeah. what to do, whatever. I have fun, of course. Yeah. But, you know, in the other world for new PTs, they're still just trying to sign people on for the sake of it. And you can't pick and choose your clients right at the start because you've got bills to pay. Like you need yeah. to make do only until you start filling your books and you can say, hmm, you're really not for me. I like training you type thing. Yeah. Um, so I think having, as you said, a hybrid ap- approach in the sense of you write their program for the whole week, for the whole month, pick and choose one and you take them through it. And then if you need to um, change the accessories around, for example, for arms, if you use the the bar on a tricep push down instead of a rope, to them it's like, oh, it's something different. But to yeah. you, very movement similar pattern. movement pattern. Um, when it comes to your squats, just, yes, do the same movement, for example, but then reiterate to them, hey, we've added a little bit of weight on the bar this week, you're progressing. And then that gets them excited. So you have Mm. to make it a game, a challenge, and then just play around with the accessories. And then maybe the next week you'll take them through upper body if you did lower body last week. So charge more trainers. Don't just write a free program um, and then just charge your gym floor rate. Mm. I mean, if you are starting, it is an option, but then, you know, it is a lot of time and effort. You can have that as an add-on, as you said, Sherelle. Um, but very important to still stick with your values, uh, but then know the little tricks and the language and and the little things to throw in so they feel entertained. Yeah. And if you give them that education of why it's important, yes. do you know what I mean? Like they can't afford not to have you do that at the end yeah. of the day. You're like, look, I can take you through a workout. And I say this all the time. There's a difference between exercise and training, right? Like some people, like they're both great exercise is awesome for you training is awesome for you but there's a difference Mm. training has like an end calculated result that we're working towards we're working backwards right like we're periodizing to get towards something um and we're adapting we're making sure that we're not adapting too much and then we change the strategy right with exercise it's literally just about like moving your body in a way that feels good cardiovascular health like you're not actually striving for adaptation Mm. whereas with training you are so if you explain that to clients and say look you want to do the um the group fitness classes you want to do these sorts of things you want to go for a run all that that's exercise and that's great for mental health that's great for cardiovascular that's awesome as a a true beginner just to move your body and develop some you know balance coordination skill whatever but once you if you really want to progress and get to that intermediate stage like you need to be training you know and that's just if we know it we believe it it's an Mm. easy sell it's just Mm. being like so let me make sure i write a proper training program um and it's also going to allow clients to be more consistent because I believe when we go through training plateaus or we lose motivation, we either one, don't know why we're doing what we're doing. We just feel like we're going through the motions um, or two, we're not seeing progress. So yep. It's really easy if someone's adding like small increments of weight to the bar or if they um, they feel like it's getting easier, like they're having skill adaptations, their pain's going away. Like if they're moving towards a target that they want, i.e. they're seeing progress, no way in hell someone's losing motivation. Like they're mm. like, holy shit, dopamine, like all those chemicals are reinforcing that this is what I should be doing. And that's what's got us addicted to training, Danny. Like yeah. we, we love making progress. So everyone's fine being a beginner if you know that you can transition away from that. No one wants to stay a beginner. No. Problem. So it's about giving that education to your client, um, building them on top of that. And then yeah. when you get more advanced, the strategies just get more advanced, like what mm. we're going to talk about today. So you can start talking about, well, 
why do we use drop sets? Why do we use partial reps? Like why, why do we use forced reps? Like mm. what are we actually trying to achieve? Mm. We're still trying to achieve progressive overload and mechanical tension, but it just has to be done in a more advanced, nitty gritty, nuanced way. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm so glad we spent a lot of time talking about that. Um, just again to really make clear, there's a most people are not advanced. Yeah. Just to make that really, really, really clear. I feel like a lot of the bells and whistles and attention is on the 10% details right now, just on social yeah. media. But and it can be quite stressful for coaches looking or even gym goers being like, I don't understand any of that. I don't know where it's relevant, but people are yelling about it and talking so loud about it. Just know <laughs> it probably isn't relevant. It yeah. just gets likes. Don't worry about it, guys. Um, but now we're going to fast track into the advanced stage um, and have a little bit of fun and talk about when we do use these um, sort of training methods, when they're good and, and when they're useful as well. Yeah, um, absolutely. So let's get into drop sets. Mm. Um, I know you like talking about this. Do you want to explain this? Um, well, we'll start, we'll start with the standard drop sets um, maybe and sort of what that is. So a lot of yep. people will know what, like they would have heard of a drop set. Um, but like I said, I feel like I've been doing drop sets since day one, but were they really effective? <laughs> like was I start? I'm like drop set. Like what's that even mean? We shouldn't be throwing a lot of these th- things in for the fun of it. Like you're not going to no. do back, back squats. You got four sets of six, and you're like drop set. <laughs> like you know, <laughs> you're not going to do it. So, um, and everyone as well. Like I can't, I can't even emphasize this enough. Like everyone what me and Danny believe and talk about is probably going to be different to a lot of people as well. Like how we program the exercises we pick, the strategies we use or we don't use or the exercises we use or don't use. They're just different based on like your own lens and your own values Mm. and your own training experience as well. So for me personally, like I will usually reserve drop sets for like, um, you know, end of workouts, um, exercises that have a lot of stability. They're quite safe. They might be isolated movements or they might be lagging body parts. Um, And it's, it's not for everyone and it's not usually super necessary um as well but it can be just to get that little bit extra out if you need to from certain muscle groups so for example i love drop sets for calves because i feel like they will tap out um usually in the shortened position so when you're trying to stand up yeah well well before the mid-range or the lengthened range so i really love drop sets um for that because there will be part of it where i'll focus on the lengthened because you can go really heavy with calves they're really strong they support your body on one leg yours are mine aren't oh sorry no (laughs) do you know what I used to be like, oh, 20 kilos doing calf raises. And Eugene just like, put 60 on. How much do you weigh? And I was like, holy shit. But then I realized like, yeah, like really stretch them. And I'll tell you what, since yeah. I've been loading my calves with good weights, um, my ankle mobility has improved so much. Yeah, much good. Any other shitty drill that anyone else ever gave me, I'm like, oh, just train your calves with really good weight. So load them up. Like I load them up with my body weight usually. Are um, you on a standing machine? Sorry, just so we can get a full visual. Um, or just know, hold a dumbbell by your side. No, no, no. I use the machine. Yeah. yeah. Dumbbell's fine, but like, you know, you're always going to be compromised um, if, if you can't actually have it loaded properly and anchor yourself. I also find like really being able to like, flex my quads and my glutes as well when I'm using that standing calf machine I wish someone told me that like tense your glutes when you're using and your that. core man yeah everything yeah. everything mm-hmm. <laughs> um love love um like the donkey is it donkey calf races like with your back supported like on a hack squat so- styled machine is that 
Oh, when you're sort we're getting fancy here. with the machines, Sorry. but yeah, yeah that's when you're sort um, of bent over. That's yeah, the old love school bodybuilder. Yeah. Um, um, so yeah, calves are great for drop sets. And usually what I'll do, like I will load up to a weight that is probably above what I think I should be doing. Mm. Um, and I will not, I'll not get too fixated on the range of motion because I know that it's coming, right? Like yeah. I know that once I drop down, I will be able to get right up into that shortened position um, and really fatigue that too. So with a drop set, I like to think of it as like a finisher. You know, we're really used, we've done the mechanical tension thing. We're utilizing more of the metabolic burn pump. It's going to be, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's going to be more like um, the fast twitch muscle fibers that we're really going to be fatiguing right to the end when you're doing drop sets because the slow twitch, you know, for your heavy loads and all of those sorts of things as well. So you're really going to be trying to fatigue all the muscle fibers and that's why they suck, right? That's why they really suck. So you're going to do it with a really heavy weight. I'll usually do two or three rounds um, as well of a drop set. So I might take it up a couple of pins. Um, make sure you're using a pin loaded machine as well. It's usually a lot easier if you can yeah. rather than having to get off and take plates. Um, and I'll usually do three rounds. So there's no rest between it. You're going to reduce your weight by 10 to 20%, depending on how heavy you start. And then you're just going to go until you can't pretty much. Oh, doing it on a leg extension is killer. Yeah, no. That burn is next level. And that's what yeah. I used to do to my clients. Again, when I started training um, people on the gym floor, just to shut them up. I'm like, all right, end of the session's coming. Drop sets on the leg extensions. So, yeah. And even just when you're um, experimenting with drop sets, just mm. start with one set. I mean, yeah. you're hectic and can go three rounds, but just start with one. So do, <laughs> you know, 15 or so reps on the leg extension, whatever, get to that failure mm. and then drop the pin down, make it lighter and then go again. Like it's yeah. just, oh, it's so good, but so bad. Yeah. I also find that like certain muscle groups, like I personally find that I respond well to drop sets with certain muscle groups, like my delts, you know, Shoulders, that can tolerate yeah. a lot. Delts, um, like I said, um, calves, like those things yep. that don't fatigue easily. You think you're done with a lateral raise, you drop the weight and you get a whole nother set out. So it's like, are you done? Like you're not exactly. really. I also think as well, um, like anything in the short range position for me seems to respond well to drop sets, like a hip thrust, um, yep. a cable kick back, um, things like that. Whereas like lengthened range, sometimes it's a bit more risky with exercises like mm. squatting machines or RDL movements or step ups. Like you just fatigue and your yeah. core will fatigue first, yeah. to be honest. That's what yeah. I mean. So you've got to, you've got to really be able to manage, am I having task failure? Or am I having muscle failure um, when you're looking at drop sets too? Like you get you get on a seated leg curl, you can do a, a hell of a drop set, you know, because you're not going to run into task failure, which means your technique's not going to deteriorate um, and you mm. are going to be able to do it justice. So this is what I mean by like in the past, I would have definitely done a barbell squat drop set. <laughs> yeah. I have no doubt in my mind. <laughs> is that the best Ouch. choice? <laughs> No, it's not. So <laughs> we live and we learn. That's what I mean. Like, the, and this is why it's reserved. Like, I have enough like training IQ to be able to know when these things are appropriate. Like, rather than just working hard for the sake of working hard, which is not what we want anyone to do. We want them to get in, train with intensity, train with intent, and then get out. We don't yep. want them to push to complete muscular technique failure and just like leave the gym feeling worse. Mm. We want you to be able to use this these techniques to either like bring up weak points, you know, or get more out of a movement. 
Yeah, I think drop sets, just be mindful of when you do use them. We did mention that they should be done sort of at the end of your workout. Um, But I have still done them kind of halfway, for example, on a leg press, but I was training with people and then they took the plates off, saved me getting up, getting Mm -hmm. down, going again. But then after that leg press drop set, I just did a little bit of leg extension and then I was gone. Like you can't keep doing drop sets from the start, middle, end of your workout because whatever comes after that drop set will be compromised. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you need to know that you're accumulating a lot of fatigue and um, metabolic waste Mm. um, and that's why you get the burn. That's why it's so difficult to get through. So, you know, your... I guess the quality of your workout will always deteriorate. <clears throat> and this is why exercise order is really important because the your first exercise, your A series and even your B series there, that's when your, your nervous system is going to be the most primed and online and skills going to be there. So mm. this is why like a lot of the times these methods should be saved for at the end when it doesn't matter if like skill doesn't remain. Do you know what I mean? Like on a calf race, like how much yeah. damage can you really do? Unless your glutes aren't online, but that's a different story. Yeah, yeah. Um, the other type of drop set that I've like only recently really started to include, and this is definitely a more of an advanced one, is something called a mechanical drop set. So this is when you're manipulating something like the moment arm, which is how far away the weight is um, from the working joint um, to be able to do a drop set without actually having to like change the weight. Yeah. At the start, I talked about like an RDL versus a good morning, right? Like they are both a hip hinge pattern, um, but with a good morning, the weight is further away from the working joint. So therefore the moment arm is longer and therefore the resistance and the tension that's placed on the muscle is greater. Like yeah. I can do an 85 kilo RDL. I cannot do an 85 kilo good morning. Yeah. Right? Like I'll be snapped Good in example. Half. So mm. it's about using different machines, different equipment. Something I love is like a mechanical drop set with a back extension because I can hold the weight out in front. I can hold it close. I can hold it above my head. Like I can change the moment arm and mm. therefore change the resistance. Mm. Right. So cool. some people may be doing this without actually even know, knowing that they're doing it. They'll be like, it feels better when I hold it here. Or, yeah, um, your body subconsciously cheats to make it easier by yes. bringing the weight closer to you. For sure, absolutely. Mm. And like there's certain things that we use. So, for example, I was playing around with um, an ankle strap the other day, not just around my ankle but like around more of my calf and then around yep. more like my knee and changing the moment arm. And there's definitely different sequences of exercises you can put together. So a mechanical drop set that I've been doing now is like a barbell hip thrust into like a leg press um, and then into a partial leg press, right? So challenging where the weight is being used, like the stretch position, the short position. I still classify that as a drop set. Like it's still one whole drop set of the glutes that I'm sort of training as well. So there's different definitions that I'm sort of throwing in here as well. And like I said, more of an advanced strategy that I freaking love. Like I love these nuances with training. It's what keeps me motivated and excited um, towards sessions rather than just going in, no, I've got to do the same movement patterns as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, Another easy one to sort of remember for that example is, for example, dumbbell lateral raises. So you're holding the um, weight out by your side, doing your normal lateral raise. And then when you reach that fatigue, just bend your elbows and then Mm. straight into bent arm lateral raises so as you've been explaining Sherelle so you bring the weight in closer and then it Mm. makes the movement easier and then you've got more in the tank for that but you haven't changed the weight you've just changed the position of where you're holding the weight so just remember the further away from the joint the harder it is the closer to the joint 
the easier it is yeah, and play absolutely. around with it. It's really fun. Yeah, absolutely. Words. I love it. I know. I'm keen to train. <laughs> I know. Um, uh, it's my rest day today. Spewing. The other um, uh, training method, which isn't advanced, but it can be depending on how you sequence it, is supersets. Mm. So traditionally, like a beginner superset or, you know, the probably the most researched and supported one is going to be antagonist and agonist supersets. And basically this means that you're putting two muscles or opposite muscle groups together in a superset. So this could be a lying leg curl, which is going to be hamstrings, and it could be a leg ex- um, a leg extension which is obviously quads you're putting those together and the biggest advantage of a superset like that um is just going to be time efficiency to be honest like you're going to save so much time rather than someone doing a leg curl and then resting two minutes a leg curl resting two minutes if they can superset while they're doing the leg extension and training quads the hamstrings are actually getting rest as you go so you're getting like bang for your buck when it comes to time um when it comes to supersets but there are definitely ways that you can use supersets um like the same muscle group for example and i love doing rdls into lying leg curls for example Mm. probably wouldn't give that to a beginner um at the start but i would give it to someone that's in that intermediate that's really trying to you know use the metabolic pathways and get the pump and really train muscular failure rather than worrying about technique of what that next set of the Mm, rdl actually looks like yeah i've been playing around with um supersets for my quads because now my glutes take over a lot, which is like, that's an awesome problem. And it's something that I've wanted to have for so long, but now I'm like, "Mm, okay, I want to bring the quads back into the party. So I've been starting with just leg extensions just to get them going and then straight into the leg press as well. Obviously changing foot position on the leg press can make it Mm. more quad dominant, but I I just wanted to really play around with the supersets as well. So um, you mentioned agonist and antagonist being the opposites, but then you can also use it um for the same muscles to get them firing and then straight into the movement pattern there so the benefit is again time efficient um and then I think that's the most important one for your busy people in the gym it's not an excuse to just go rushing through your workout but Mm. it is a way that you don't have to have those long rest periods in between yeah. I was actually talking to a client about this the other day as well. Like if you're in a busy gym and supersets are costing you more grief than good, yeah. like you're waiting, you're like one of my, um, one of my girls the other day was like, yeah, I did 5,000 steps in the gym the other day. Cause it was on the opposite side. I'm like, <laughs> tell, tell us like, yeah, you know, please. It's, it's not like a hard rule that you have to do supersets. And if your coach does supersets, like maybe ask like, Hey, like this equipment's on the other side or doesn't yeah. matter if it's, it's 5 PM, it's really busy. Like, no, we're actually doing it to help you save time um but if it's making it more like it should be a com- like convenient if it's becoming more inconvenient like let us know because it's not a deal breaker yeah it's not the be all and end all but bless the people again who still are a bit new and they don't really they think oh my god i'm not following it correctly like that's the worst yeah. so you get people being like oh my god i'm so sorry i couldn't superset that i'm like that's fine like yes it's, and then you explain why so yeah yeah, it's fine, guys. If you need to shotgun your machine or like sit on it so no one steals it, you sit on it and don't absolutely. go anywhere. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. I jumped into pre-exhaustion. Oh, go for it. With the leg. Yeah, I already gave that example. So pre-exhaustion um, superset. But with my leg extension into leg press example, it's not exhaustion. It's more just getting it going. I don't take the leg extension to failure. I don't think I've ever really used... Um, pre-exhaustion I don't see the benefits of making a muscle absolutely exhausted and then trying to get it to work yeah I'm on the same page as you it's pre-exhaustion is something that you do see a lot but it's not something I personally use um 
The only thing that comes to mind for me that I've used is there's like an old school bodybuilding um, style of programming where you train a muscle in the shortened position at the start um, to generate more blood flow to that area. So for example, it would be, I did a phase where the A series was all on its own, but it would be like the, the primary mover of that workout. Let's say it was hamstrings, right? Like the main muscle groups is hamstrings. I'm training for this lower body day. Um, I would start the workout with a lying leg curl, you know, training it in the shortened position mm. and really take it to failure. The one, and then moving into like compounds and supersets and those sorts of things. So sort of flipping a workout, right? Like a lot yeah. of the times we might save that little stuff for the end. Um, but I did a phase where it was like, no, like you, you're, you're training that muscle in isolation and giving it your best using exercise exercise order to your um, advantage to mm. bring up those weaker points, you know, and then the next glute day might, it might've been for glutes, sorry, might've been like a hip thrust, which is what a lot of us do anyways, but then moving into like your compound big stuff um, following it. So yeah. that's the only thing I can think about that I've actually personally used where I am gassing my hamstrings before I move into my main compound, which is my RDL for a lot of the time. So yeah. my performance is going to be slightly less, although I didn't find it much, like maybe, like I don't know two kilos per side like not much yeah um, but I kept that in mind and that wasn't the focus either like the focus wasn't really strength in that I was more using like metabolic burn pump sort of stuff at the start of my workout oh it's important because if you as I mentioned earlier for example if you're trying to train quads and your glutes are taking over or trying to do RDLs and your glutes are doing it all like you need to kind of quote unquote, wake up those muscles and get them active and then bring them into that big compound. So I love doing that. Um, There's a a method called post-activation potentiation, which is similar, um, which I've been playing around with a little bit where you hold a maximal isometric contraction. So uh, let's just use uh, the hamstring curl for an example. So you contract, hold for five to 10 seconds, maximal contraction on a heavy weight only five to 10 seconds, lower the weight, and then you can actually get more reps out. Mm. So similar so isometric, to sorry, isometric. Is isometric. So similar to what we were talking about um, before, but you do it with an isometric hold there. So just another way to really be able to maximize muscle stimulation in order mm. to get more reps. Sometimes they just need a little bit of a kickstart, whether yeah. it be through um, an isolated exercise or an isometric contraction. Yeah, we did something similar actually at Eugene's workshop. We did a five-minute isometric. Five minutes? <laughs> it was five minutes. It was more for tendon stuff in general, but something from isometrics, like the pump five is seconds, wild. Guys. Yeah. The pump is freaking wild, right? Like you get up and I'm like, my ass, like there is so much blood in there and the burn. So I feel like having different methods and different strategies is really good to experience because so many people get stuck in their ways. They're like, no, I only do push pull or like, no, I only do like upper lower. Like I only do this. And I think variety is so important guys, especially as a coach. Like I, the best way I learn is to do like, I'm like, yeah, that wasn't, that wasn't good for me. You know, like I didn't like that or that conditioning style wasn't the best or this exercise. Like I I think this one's better for me. Like it's about trial and error and the same with these sorts of things. Like we said, pre-exhaustion have tried certain things, but something that I'm like looking at the science, looking at the research, looking at mechanical tension, looking at those things, not something I would personally use. doesn't mean it's wrong. It's just that like I've, 
don't want to use it. Whereas there's going to be things like the drop sets, the supersets, the rest pause methods, all of these things. That I'm like, yeah, I know what that feels like. And that's a great stimulus, um, but might not be for everyone, but you don't know unless you actually start trialing these. So all the coaches out there that some of these might be new, if we go through them, like make sure you do a little bit of reading and a bit of research and get curious about your own training program and maybe how you can advance um, your own sessions if you're at that. Yeah, it's case by case and it really depends on your client's goals as well. Obviously, my exercise prescription is a little bit different because I still have a large focus on um, rehab and injury management and prevention. So I think, again, a lot of people are getting mixed up between like, okay, am I trying to help someone out of pain or am I trying to do hypertrophy? You can do both, but Try not to get caught up in the nitty gritties of things. Um, And just remember, just if you start to get a little bit overwhelmed with the abundance of information, just say, okay, who is my client and what is their goal? Always remember that. Who is my client? What is their goal? And what is my lane? more importantly as well but the good news is there's help everywhere if you're unsure just ask but it can be a bit confusing because there's just so much Mm -hmm. amazing information out there but as we always say less is more yeah absolutely you can get really lost in all of the um (laughs) you know the one percenters that are out there and I think it's consideration number one is like who am I working like who, who who am I training at the moment what's their goals and not just what are their goals what's the adaptation I'm actually trying to achieve like is it a skill adaptation is it mechanical tension in certain ways like is it they just want to exercise Mm. (laughs) do you know what I mean like are they just there for like compliancy and Mm. consistency and adherence and that's so okay because maybe that's all they want from you like don't forget that you're offering value and you don't get to determine what that value point is as a coach as well you might think it's the training it could be they just want to do something for themselves once a week you know this is their time they're getting away from the kids they're moving their body they want to feel like they're sweating do you know what I mean and that's so okay and this is why it's important to know your clientele who you're working with this is like you said like I work with a lot of um, women that love this sort of nitty gritty stuff. Um, but if someone was having pain, like, no, I would never give them. These are just like, they need, they need to be moving pain free. They need to be at a certain position in their training. They need to be a certain type of client. Um, and like, they need to want to do this stuff too. Like you're never going to yep. give someone a drop set if they're like, I don't like the burn. Some people hate it. Some people they hate don't it. like it. Yeah. It's it's definitely hard. I mean, what I still use, I still use a lot of these methods, but I probably like like pre-exhaustion or pre-activation, definitely, which mm. we've spoken about. Supersets, yes, but in terms of like going to failure and doing all that, no. Like go mm. back to your checklist and then start again. Yeah, um, absolutely. But so many amazing things and amazing people. But, yeah, always just remember who am I working with? Is it an athlete? a sporting, someone with sporting performance, someone who just needs to be challenged, someone who's injured, where am I? Yeah, absolutely. Um, And moving on on to the next one, which is, it's probably one of my personal favorites out of this list, um, is a rest pause method. Um, I've Mm. I've used this quite a lot in the past um, for my own training. And I also see this as if you're a coach and if you're a personal trainer, this can actually be a really good one to help clients realize their own potential right? Like with rest pauses, if they're choosing a weight that they think they can do for eight reps and you make them do eight and you go, cool, you're going to rest for 10 to 15 seconds. You're going to do more. And they get another eight out. You go, well, <laughs> like did you, that first set wasn't enough, like wasn't heavy enough. Mm. And this is one of like the ways that I did start being like, hell, like I've got so much more in the tank than what I thought. So rest pause uh, method, I might just explain it. So but you perform one main set. So let's say 
you're on a seated leg curl and you've you've got an eight set um eight reps sorry you're going to choose a weight that's you would do for eight reps you do one set and then you're going to rest for usually i want to say 10 to 20 seconds you want to give your muscle enough time to replenish apt you don't want to move straight away some people rest for like three seconds and you're like no 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 you've got to like just partial rest like short mm-hmm. amount of rest i actually put hattie through rest pause method on like the hip thrust when we trained Good together and killed her. yeah i was like <laughs> it's actually easier to go again after a couple of seconds because they'll go rest and then they'll go to go again but you're like no you let your muscle replenish just enough so you get like four or five shitty reps yeah it's probably there. almost harder Woo! the longer it is rest. yeah it is it is like because you'll just gas out like after a couple of reps if you do a couple of seconds rest which is what Mm. most people but 10 to 20 depending like on your recoverability you like go for that 20 mark if you want to for the first time and then go again um and you should really if you've picked the weight correctly you should really only get four to six reps maximum six to maximum do you know what i mean if you're getting more or equaling the set that you just did you did not go heavy enough (laughs) right and it's so funny because you'll get to like rep four and it'll feel like rep 40 and you're like what the hell it's like knives up your hamstrings right it's it's horrible Mm. Uh, but it's a and then you'll do this for usually two to three rounds maybe you might do two rounds um and by the end of it like you really should only be getting two to three reps like you're not really going to go to a point where you can't get any like you'd call it at that because and or you'd be like i don't need to do another rest pause set because i won't be able to walk tomorrow yeah Um, but like I said, this is a great advanced method for people training on their own to be able to, if you don't have a training partner, like it's awesome to be able to get more effective reps um, with the same amount of weight. The other point is you don't drop the weight either. So you do your reps and then you rest a, a, enough replenishment in the muscle and then you go again. You might get 20, 30% less reps, but you're keeping the weight the same. Mm. So at the end of the set, instead of doing, let's say, um, if you had three sets of 10, right, that you were going to do, and then you add um, one set of rest pause on at the end, instead of having 30 effective reps, you could have 40 effective reps, but you've done uh, still three sets, if that nice. makes sense. So the amount of time that you're spending under tension is the exact same with still a really solid working weight. Yeah, that's really good. And um, yeah, I definitely wish I was there for that workout. Sounded full on. Um, it's also good for learning skills because let's just say someone's prescribed 10 reps. They can only get maybe six with good technique. Otherwise like their lower back might take over all their traps or something like that. Okay. We'll pause there. Yes. You've got more reps in the tanks, but are they quality, um, reps with good technique? No pause for a little bit. Um, and then go again to finish your Mm. set. So it's, it's the same method, but for a different um, sort of outcome, but so useful. It is, yeah, really awesome. It's yeah. a lot more fun doing it with someone else. Like, oh, for sure. Because it takes discipline when you're doing it in the way that you explain for like pushing yeah. those extra reps. It's a good yeah. time. Yeah, absolutely. I really love, like, I've got exercises that I really love this for, like the uh, like the glute drive is a fantastic one. Definitely good with a training partner if you're going to do it because, you know, those, like I said, those last few reps, you're not sure. You <laughs> it need really a sucks. Talk. You really yeah. do. Um, <laughs> otherwise, I would um, choose a leg press. It would be great on your own. You know, you can just re-rack it even on the shorter one. Um, God, a hack squat would suck, but I've done oh, it. Um, yeah. And I, I really like a seated leg curl more than lying just because of the extra stability and then definitely like um a leg extension can you you can do anything with a leg extension so you can 
certain machines that you would use it for and there's definitely a certain exercise that you wouldn't use this for like you'd never do this with like a free weight movement um that has a, like that requires a lot of internal stability because they're going to be gassed by the end of it like you'd never mm. do this with a back squat or a conventional deadlift i i wouldn't ouch um there might be people out there that do but i wouldn't Nah. <laughs> well, you shouldn't be. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, on the, I prefer a seated hamstring curl to play around with these um, methods as well, just because with lying hamstring curls, it is so tempting to get momentum, to hold on really tight. Back in the day, I used mm. to always give myself a headache on the lying um, hamstring curl just because you're just tensing so hard and holding on. And I'm like, I got to stop doing this. So yeah. Yeah, I really prefer pushing harder on the hamstring curl that's seated um, yeah. rather than lying just because, yeah, with lying, so many other elements come into it and your lats mm. try and help, your lower back tries to help sometimes. Um, yeah. So find machines that you are comfortable to play with these on as well. Everyone's different. We all have different preferences, but some machines are just better than others. Yeah. I love a, um, a seated leg curl. Most definitely a good one. Sometimes they're just designed so crappy. They like, don't fit. What is up with the seated leg curl that has the padding just below the knee? That makes no freaking sense to me. Have you seen that? The one that just supports oh, you? Oh, no. I haven't seen that. Oh, you spent the other day. I'm like, this is the most ridiculous thing ever. I feel like I'm floppy everywhere. So yeah. I really like a seated, um, if they've got a good padding, like sometimes I really hurt my quads, like, yeah. like on the doms on the quads that are just like forever yeah, <laughs> like, pretty much. always walking around the level of doms <laughs> that's um, true and yeah with a seated leg curl you sorry with a lying leg curl you're always going to run into a little bit of task failure before yeah you would in a seated because you can really crunch yourself over but like mm. I said the gym that I train at the moment I don't love the seated leg curl there like I don't like it um so I I do use the lying a lot more now um and you're going to have those personal preferences yeah, for sure. Um, and people can click on your short girl hack highlight for for all those things, how to fit all those machines. Yep. Um, what's next? Force reps and training partners, which we kind of touched on. Um, but again, just to have someone spotting you is just so much better because not only do you feel a little bit safer when pushing to that max, 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 mm. um, just that pep talk does help and we're all about you know be your own motivation blah 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 but nothing beats training with the right training partner by the way the right one who's going to encourage you push you um I personally like being spotted on barbell back squat if I'm going heavy just because (laughs) you know deadlifts I can go super hard you know bench whatever but there's just for me something about a back squat when I'm going super heavy. I just feel so much more comfortable with someone behind me. Not yeah. that I've ever needed them to save me, um, but just having that spotter there is for peace of mind. If you don't have another person there, just use the racks. Yeah. Set yourself up because there's just something in your brain that goes, it knows whether you have a spotter or not, yeah. or like the, the rack machines or not. And you will push harder if you know how to fail the lift. See, I'm the opposite. Like, I love having a spotter and a training partner to um, who are we throwing under the bus? Me up, <laughs> hear me up. But if I feel like sometimes my brain will tap out if I know someone's there to help me. Like, really, if, if there's no one there, like there's only one way out of this, and it's up, right? <laughs> a lot of the time. So sometimes I'll find that. But you're right; it's very common to feel more stable with someone else there. Um, and I feel like as well the like like you said, not all training partners are the same, you know. And That's sometimes it's it's like you've got to find someone that knows when to push <laughs> you. 
and knows what your failure points look like because like a lot of people get injured when they train with people because they've just got massive egos and to show off right exactly and as much as like Eugene and I throw each other under the bus all the time (laughs) we still know what's appropriate like like I'm like nah like that's probably a big jump like you've still got enough you know prefrontal cortex online to be like what's a safe way to train as well and what what's realistic in terms of weights like you'd never be like well you've got 100 kilo rdl this week it's like well like you know what's appropriate too Mm. the other thing which i think is really important is the mental cues because let's be honest a training partner is mostly there for emotional support on some of those big lifts rather than physical stuff they don't really do it's more just emotional support so i have this thing where God, I hate it when people tell me I'm halfway because I, I, <laughs> I my brain just gives up and it goes, oh, I've got this again. <laughs> True. So every time I'd be on the pendulum and I'd let's say I was doing like a big set and it was like 20 reps or something, you didn't go halfway, 10 no. to go. And I'm like, no, nah, I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> because I'm like, I can't do that. But then if you would go 10, nine eight and you'd count me down psychologically i could get it out and it's so interesting when you learn those nuances for what makes you tick and you communicate that with someone you have to communicate that you have to communicate it or you just say like i'll be like not feeling it today like you know you can name it and not feel like i'm being a little bitch or like you know have these little things show up which is very common right? When people train together, they go, I must perform. And every, every time I train, it's got to be at the same intensity. Like it's, it's just not realistic. I also feel like as well, it's so much easier when you do, when you're um, like, whether you're the same height or the same experience or, you know, the same strength or whatever, um, because that's going to stop a lot of those things too. Like people won't try and match someone else if they're relative experience. And there's nothing worse when you're a really experienced trainer training with someone who is novice or a beginner and you feel like you're coaching them. Do you know what I mean? You're sort of like, you don't get your session done because as coaches, we're helpers. And I'm like, Oh, let me, you know, and then all of a sudden you're, you're coaching You're giving someone. a free session away. Exactly. You haven't well, lifted a weight. Do you know what I mean? Like if yeah. you didn't tell me about technique, I'd be like, are you right? Do you know what I mean? Like <laughs> you're when you're right, a similar thing, it's like yeah. you're training with someone rather than training someone. Yeah. I only have a select amount of people that I train with sort of for that reason in a way of like, I love training with people who are more advanced than me just oh, because me it, they're same. Like it just forces you to step up. Like there's a lady at, um, at Pato, her name's Itzel and she's a, you know, pro bodybuilder for IFBB back in the mm. day. Like she's an IFBB judge at the moment. And she took me and Paul um, and every, our manager through a leg session and I just wanted to impress her so much. And I'd never push that hard. I, had a I reckon I watched that set and I was like, holy that shit, was honey, literally I've never one... seen you do that. I was fucked. Like I had a nosebleed the next day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, because I blew my nose in oh the morning God. and it was just bleeding. I'm like, I don't think I've cut out for this. And it's like, no, I can understand what it's like to want to just push and impress and go a little bit too hard. I mean, it was epic, but. I'm too nervous to ever do that again. Um, yeah. not, and so next time we train, I'm like, can we just train up a body, please? Yeah. Like, you're too hectic for me. I love you, yeah. but fuck. But then it can go the other way. You don't want to train with it, someone who's really not at your skill level as well for that reason. So mm. 
nothing wrong with training by itself, but it is nice just to have a helping hand from the right person. Yeah, for sure. Like I love having training partners for lower body days um, when you yep. just need that. I feel like as well, when you're in that, like when you're relatively strong as well for your size, um, it's sometimes difficult to get the same out of a session. Like with the hip thrust, I really do need help to re-rack the glute drive mm. or with a hack squat, I really do need help just on those last few reps, mm. you know, just to get the most out of it. Whereas a, someone that's like beginner or like early intermediate, they're going to run into a lot of task failure and bracing and those sorts of things like relatively soon. Yeah, um, And I feel like even the weights, do you know what I mean? Like loading it up, like how much of a workout is that? Putting it all yeah. away and it, it's all fine. But the more advanced that you get, the more like the more it takes, the more effort it takes to be able to get the same stimulus out of a session. Yeah, yeah. That's what happened when Paul and I tried to train legs together. Like we do, but then by the time he would load up the leg press with like all the yeah. plates in the gym and then it would be my set, I'm like, mm, I'm yep. not going to sit here and unrack all of that. I'm going to do something else. Yeah. That's, the, and yeah. that's the thing. Like, that's being realistic too. Yeah. Didn't have that problem with you, Dana. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> oh, that's funny. A strong woman. We'll call it, the, yeah, the fact that you're really strong. That's why. Um, <laughs> shall we move on to the next one? Yeah, partials. So partial reps. Mm. Um, this is going to be very similar, right? In terms of like you're really just getting the more out of the the end range of the position that you're actually training. So whether it's forced reps, um, let's be real. If you were doing a forced rep on your own, it's a partial. Do you know what I mean? Like you're doing mm. partials until the end. If you're doing a forced rep with a training partner, um, you're getting the full range because they're helping you, right? So partials are a way that on your own, do you know what I mean? Like if I had a training partner, I wouldn't do partials because I'd be like, help me through it. Like get me to yeah. the end range. Whereas when you're on your own partial reps um, and overloading the position where the muscle is under the most tension is a great strategy just to be able to get more out of less. And mm. you might, you might subconsciously do this anyways. Like your range of motion may reduce um, during certain lifts, like a leg extension, you might not be able to fully to shorten it yeah. and get the leg up. Um, so you might do some partials in the mid range um, towards the end. And I don't think that's a, it's not advanced, but it's definitely not something a beginner would need to do. No, no. I like it um, also for upper body too. And I know you do yeah. as well, but again, it's not for a beginner because what I find is beginners that try and do one and one quarter reps, for example, they just lose the technique. So for example, on like a chest press or shoulder press, they're mm. going, but they're just losing the tension. They're just focusing on on moving their arms in space. They're not really actually focusing on the muscle. They're kind of just like letting everything loose, going up a bit, coming back down, going again. And it's just a weird, messy look. So I feel mm. like you need to be able to hold technique and tension for a long period of time to then be able to actively move through those shorter ranges and know, okay, yep, it's really tense there. I'm going to go again and then and then do the full rep. Um, but you know, on something like a leg extension, as you said, you can easily do it. So it just really depends on which exercise you're performing these on. Yeah, absolutely. I was just thinking as well, like there's definitely certain exercises that partials, um, I don't mind and that I wouldn't use as well. Like exercise selection, when it comes to everything that we talk about is the blueprint that's going to determine whether you use these things as well. So Mm. I really, um, find that anything that trains the muscle in like its shortened position, whether it's like a lateral raise or, um, a back extension or a hip thrust, like I really enjoy partials for those things. Like I feel like 
it just feels good. Whereas yeah. anything that's in the stretched position, I tend to not, like I feel like my technique breaks down a bit too much um, and I just lose tempo. Even like a leg press, for example, like I don't, I'm not big on like partials in the stretched position at the bottom um, for a lot of stretch sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, for Not for a newbie anyway. And I mean, it depends on how heavy you're going because yeah, on a true. leg press, you are in kind of a compromised position where if you're reaching fatigue and then doing one and one quarter reps like Mm. again we don't want to lose that brace we don't want to just change our position down the bottom for Romanian deadlifts kind of the same thing right you don't really want to stay in that not vulnerable I don't want to use words to deter people but just in that lengthened position we're holding that brace and technique Uh, harder so it can totally understand what you're saying with that yeah yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. But really do like partials for um, a lot of cable work, like you said, a lot of mm. upper body work, um, anything that's short range, isolated movements, kickbacks. The other thing that I might like just normally do is I alter my range of motion a lot, like in terms of I will train the range that I want to train. Like I don't think that um, there's certain movements, for example, where going to the end range of motion like an RDL might not be necessary for the muscles no. that you're actually trying to target. So it's not just about full range of motion and then partials until there's none more it's just about realizing well what am I actually what muscles am I trying to train here um is what range of motion do I need do I need partials you know is the top range the most important do I only need the top range like it's about Mm. it's about asking the questions and that's why when you understand things like you know length of tension relationship or supersets and tension and those sorts of things you can make more educated decisions about what methods you think are going to be effective yeah, brilliant. Because it's it really is about taking joints and muscles through full range of motion. I mean, we really don't need to under heavy load, maybe in yeah. everyday life in certain situations, but under heavy load, we don't. Um, and there's a saying that I love to to reiterate to people is it's not about how far you move. It's about how you get there. Mm. So a good example of this, for example, let's just use a glute bridge because I always find it easy to explain. Um, people often think like you're lying on your back and you want to raise your hips in the air to train your glutes being a glute bridge. People go too high all the way to the ceiling. And they think, okay, that's my top range. You know, my hips are all the way up. But then you've directed the load from the glutes into the lower back. And that's Mm. not what we want. And we've lost our brace. We're arched. We're up really high. But we've taken away from the muscles that we actually want to train. When they hyperextend. That's right. Hyperextending through the lower back. Perfect. Because they think, oh, I need to go really high. Well, no, we keep our brace. We keep it away from the lower back purely into the glutes and our range is less. So yes, we moved less, but we got there using the muscles that we want in the position that we want as well. Yeah. So it's not about how far you move. It's about how you get there. Yeah, absolutely. And it's something I've started to pay more attention to um, as well is almost like longevity with training, which is just not sexy, but things I've started to do more is think about, you know, tendon health and ranges of motion and risk to benefit ratio with exercises and even things like, um, you know, with like the leg press, I've always locked out my knees, but I'm just being more mindful of keeping soft knees and keeping yeah. the tension on just so I don't put so much load and sheer force through joints. Yeah. Um, you know, banding pack squats to give me a little bit of like reprievement right at the bottom and those sorts of things, which again is not sexy because everyone's like, I oh, just grind. But I'm like, how can I, how can I take a lot of the pressure off the, off the joints and still train the muscles in the range of motion that I want yes. so that I can get the outcome and 
and, you know, get back in the gym and stay injury free in the long run. And that's really important. Like it's not sexy, but it's what we should be thinking about. You know, my, my left knee every now and then gives me a little crackle every now and then. And it just reminds me that I'm not a like 20 year old anymore than, no, no. you know, <laughs> throw all the weights on. So it's yeah. just something to be mindful of is it's, it's, easy as well when your goal is just building muscle like you can't screw it up right at the end of the day if you're following good program time under tension moving well pain-free eating well like all of these things going to lead to muscle growth and to be honest that's my primary goal at the moment like I love training but my primary goal is hypertrophy and Mm. there's a million ways to skin a cat right I've always said (laughs) and um the way you can just make the tiniest tweaks, like being like, you know what? I am going to get a bit more glutes out of my RDL. I'm going to really drive a bit more knee flexion here um, and drop the weight a little bit and get a bit more in that way, right? Like it's not going backwards. It's progressively overloading in a different way. Yeah. And that's that's the way we can start thinking about partials and things like that as well. And, you know, rest pause methods. Like how can I get a little bit more out of the set without having to do another set? Because everyone talks about volume. Right. Everyone talks about, oh, how many sets do you do? 30 working sets. But no one talks about the quality of that volume. Exactly. And I feel like three sets is not three sets. Like there's a there's a superset that I'm doing at the moment and it's like a mechanical drop set. And it's just two. It's just two because like, trust me, I can't get a third because I, I tax the muscle in the short and the length and, and then the mid range. And it's all in one set. So the effectiveness of that one set um, is better than just one set where I'm just doing the leg press. Because right. it's like three in one almost. It's like three in one, but yeah. all I'm doing is like changing the position of my body and turning it into a mechanical drop set. But I'm actually fatiguing the muscle fibers across the full contractile range. So again, this is the nuances. This is the way that you can start thinking about your training that some people would say, oh, it's not that important. But I think actually, like when you think about it as a trainer, how important is this? Like I've been training now for like what? How old am I? 28. I've been training now properly for like six, seven years, six years, maybe six, couple of that, probably not. Call it seven. Call it seven. <laughs> um, you know, and once you start getting up to that 10 year mark, you know, I still want to be moving the same way. And yeah. I think it's really important to start thinking about how can you get more out of less? And that's why I'm such a big fan of, like I used to think it was low volume training. I used to think, oh, I train with low volume. But then I'm like, do I? Like when, mm, what is volume? Mm. You know, it's like when you think about baking a cake, you know, you've got your ingredients, you've got the quantity, you've got the heat of your oven, you've got all these other variables that determine the, the cake that's going to come out. It's not just about sets, reps and weight. Delicious. Yum. <laughs> Um, you're right. And that's why I love being a bodybuilder because it's <laughs> that's why not, I love being a because we can eat cake. No, because yep. we can't eat cake, really. Um <laughs> that's what I love being um a bodybuilder because we turn up to the gym and we have variables that we can play around with based on how we're feeling. It's not mm-hmm. just so linear as okay, today you have to lift this for this amount of reps, and it's just you know, if we don't make that lift, then we're behind on our schedule. I see a lot of powerlifters and you're amazing at what you do, but I'm just glad that we have all these beautiful things that we can play around with um, for that reason. So really just um, assess where you're at in terms of your training, your goals. Yes, you might not be feeling up to doing a certain workout today. It doesn't mean it's the end of the world. You've got mm. so many different things you can play with. Um, a machine might not be available at a gym, so many other ways that you can train like just have fun with it without getting overwhelmed have fun but have your anchor as well yeah 
Yeah, absolutely. Have fun with it. And the more you learn, like the more you know, and it's, you know, we're going to listen back to episodes and you've probably all heard of our evolution with training, right? And the amount that we've learned. And it's just one, don't get overwhelmed with it. Like don't get overwhelmed if some of these things go over your head. Get excited. Mm. You know, that there's so much more to learn. And like I said, and like what Danny said, like when your goal is just hypertrophy, you have so many tools in your tool belt and there's so many ways. There's no best ways. There's no super awesome protocols that you have to do. There's just a million different ways to apply mechanical tension, metabolic stress, and you know, damage your muscles. There's just so many ways to do those sorts of things. And you can find, um, you know, ways of programming and ways of training that you just love. You know, if there's exercises that you hate you don't really have to do any certain exercises that you don't want to you can find ways to work around it as well which is super like I think that's exciting that's great I mean it's not as clickbaity as the top three our ebooks would be there's a million ways to do yeah. this we're the yeah. complete opposite but they wouldn't we're proud of that <laughs> we're no it wouldn't, we're proud of results taking us years we're proud of having so many different ways and I hope you guys can really start to embrace that way of thinking as well because yeah it's just so fun yeah absolutely <laughs> anything anything to add to the end of that then Dan? Pretty much I think done. that's it. I yeah. mean, we, we did uh, mean to talk about only advanced methods, but then we did sort of give a lot of um, advice for newbies in the gym and new trainers. So yeah. I kind of really enjoyed how that panned out, to be honest, yeah. if I don't yeah. say so myself. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Well, we hope you guys enjoyed this episode too. And you can take some practical things away, not only for yourself, but maybe your clients and maybe even just expose you to a bit more knowledge to make you curious about some of these things. Because at the end of the day, you don't know what you don't know. Right. So it's just about listening to new information and getting um, curious about it, researching it, seeing whether it's appropriate for you or your clientele or your friends and family, and then going from there. So if you did enjoy this episode, as always, please make sure that you do take a screenshot and share it to your Instagram story. Thanks, everyone.